It's, uh, we got a lot to do. All right, so let's get into our, our message. I'm thankful for each one of you guys. Uh, today we're going to be doing a little bit of review, as I do every week, just talking about last week's message, which was called Dece- Deception's Impact. And we started examining the decision that the Israelites made on behalf, well, the Israelites' leadership made on their behalf, and they made a decision that was solely based upon human reasoning and not based upon trusting God. And we understand this was, this was their downfall. So what happens is eventually this would be the thing that would actually be leading into the fall of their nation as a whole. And the reason why we covered that is because it's important for us to realize that, listen, there are going to be consequences when you and I as believers uh, make our decisions devoid of God's insight. We need to seek the Lord in prayer. We need to seek the Lord in, in, in His Word. We need to seek the Lord through counsel of biblical counselors, people that have good biblical understanding, because if we don't, we are just like them, headed for a fall. It's very important for us to be conscious of that. But the enemy's deception, understand, is always designed to do one thing, which is to take advantage of the weakness in our life, right? It always has a specific focus. And we talked about the fact that each of us has a weakness. It might be a weakness uh, a character flaw we have, something that we're struggling with. It could be a sin that's it's beset us. It could be someone in our life. Who knows what form or fashion. But wherever that weakness is, I can promise you that's where Satan is going to attack because he wants to exploit weakness. His goal is ultimately to bring destruction into our lives. So what we do is we, when we're not allowing God to lead, when we're not allowing the Lord to, guard, to direct and guide our lives, what we're doing is setting ourselves up on the very same thing we saw in Joshua's story, which was a story of deception. And what we saw was the fact, the first thing, that deception binds us to wickedness. It binds us to wickedness. It binds us to wickedness because we allow evil into our lives. And whether or not we want it to be or not, guess what? It ultimately becomes a part of our story. Boy, when we make a mistake, guess what? It becomes part of the story that we're going to carry for the rest of our life. It's our testimony. Sometimes it was that very fall that brought us to Christ, praise the Lord. But you know what? There's a lot of lessons we learn for failure, right? We learn how to ride a bike because guess what? How many of us fell off a bike a few times before we learned how to ride? Yeah. Failure's a part of life. We're going to make mistakes, so we have to understand that. But we need to learn from our mistakes and realize the fact that not only do we bind ourselves to that wickedness, but sometimes memories of those things from our past can come flooding back to us. The devil wants to use them to beat us up. We have to realize, the Bible says, forgetting those things which are behind, right? We press forward towards the high mark of God in Christ Jesus. Our heart must be set on the future, not hung and stuck to the past. It is an anchor for many of us, our failures. But listen, man, we have been set free Praise the Lord. But we also notice the fact that not only does it bind us to wickedness, but it binds us to wicked places. And what we saw was the fact that these, these pagan kings that had been accepted, and one thing I want to qualify real quick as we go forward in the message today, I'm going to reference the deceivers. I'm going to talk to them, talk about them as Hivites, and I'm also going to talk to them about them as Canaanites, just not, not just Gibeonites, because God identified them earlier as Gibeonites only, but then he identified that it's actually four different cities that we're going to talk about. So when I reference that Hivites or Canaanites, that's who I'm talking about. I'm talking about those deceivers. But what we saw was the fact that this continued influence of these people that they'd made a league with being right in the heart of their promised land would be a bad thing because that continual ever-present presence was going to eventually impact them and draw them away from God. And what we learned from that is the fact that, listen, continued uh, closeness with sin, continued uh, friendship with sin impacts us. It impacts us over time. Listen, if we, mix, if we mix with evil, evil will start to influence our walk with God. It's why in Ephesians 4.27, God warns us, he says, neither give place to the devil. Don't leave an open door, because I can promise you, that area of weakness that you've allowed into your life, he is working to exploit it. So be very, very careful. So then we also notice that it brought unrest, internal unrest. 
Because what we saw in the Canaanite or in the, in the Israelites was the fact that there was a there was a division between them and their leadership. Because listen, the people were going, hey, listen, now that these guys have been revealed, shouldn't we deal with this? And then what happened was the leaders were like, well, listen, we, we already made a promise to God that we were going to make peace with these guys, and we're kind of stuck in this situation. Boy, saw is this internal unrest. And when, when Christians, when we allow sin into our lives, we make a league with evil. Can I promise you the Holy Spirit of God is not going to be good with that? There is going to be internal unrest. Boy, the Holy Spirit's going to churn inside of us when we expose ourselves to evil. And it's not until we get away from that sin, not until we surrender to God, that we can experience peace. Because, listen, if you're a Christian, the most uncomfortable place in the world is to be a Christian who is in sin. It stinks. Who can agree? Man, it is tough. Because you can't get away from God. Now you're hiding in a closet somewhere and you're like, okay. And he's like, oh, no, no, I'm here too. And you're like, ah, oh, man. <laughs> that weight, man, it weighs on you, dude. So we see this aspect, that internal issue. But then what's amazing is the fact that we find that what they eventually do is those Israelite leaders, they're going to take, they're going to take um, responsibility for the vow that they made. They're going to say, look, even though we made a bad deal, even though this wasn't, wasn't God's choice, because we made this vow, we're going to... We're going to stick to it. And even though it was not a popular decision, they did what they thought was right in the eyes of God. And it was that aspect or that mindset of having a heavenly accountability in our lives that I challenged you guys last week. We looked at this aspect of when we consider failure in our own life or even in someone's that we love in their life, will we do the right thing? And will we honor God or will we do what's easy? Our flesh always wants to take the easy path, but God says, listen, I'm expecting you to be one that will keep your vows. If you make a commitment to me, keep it. And the challenges are going to continue, but this week we're going to see a shift. We've been looking at the Israelites. Now, the Israelites are a picture of the individual believer. It's a picture of Christians. What we're going to be looking at today is the Canaanites. We're going to be looking at those Hivites, those pagans. And we're going to find that there's going to be a decision. There's, because of the decision of the Israelites to make league with them, there is going to be an impact on, guess what, those people as well. So today is a shift. Today we're going to be talking, the message is titled, From Death to Life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to share the truth of your word. And Lord, I know that I have so much on my mind, so many things that I want to say. And God, I just pray that you would help me to filter out the things that I need to not say. Uh, Lord, that the words that I share would be the ones that you would choose for me to share. God, I know that uh, I can get in the way. And I'm asking you, Father, just to remove the human element of the message today. I have prayed. I have studied. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would refine it uh, to be what it is we need to hear and, uh, Lord, you'll uh, just help me, uh, God, not to be a, a deficit uh, or a, a, to take away from this in any way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Joshua 9, verses 21 through 27. It says, And the princess said unto them, Let them live, but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation, as the princes had promised them. And Joshua called for them, and he spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have you beguiled us? Saying, We are very far from you when ye dwell among us. Now, therefore, ye are cursed. And there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told by my servants, by thy servants, how that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore we were sore afraid of our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now behold, we are in thine hand, as it seemeth good and right unto thee to do unto us. Do. And so did he unto them, and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, that they slew them not. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, even unto this day, in the place which he should choose. 
So we look at this. Now, we took note last week that was something interesting that we paid attention to, which was the fact that all of this stuff was occurring on the third day, okay? And there was a pattern of restoration and redemption linked to the third day in the Bible, all culminating with the resurrection of Christ on the third day, everything pointing to that, which just happens to be a physical representation of the spiritual birth that you and I are supposed to experience at salvation. A spiritual birth that Jesus references when he speaks to John, to, when in John 3, when he speaks to Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. There's a new life in you. What happens, you and I, we're, what? we're born into death. We're born into sin. And death is a part of our existence. But what's beautiful is God comes and he can take from death, he can bring life. But unfortunately, we're stuck in that. That's what we're born into. That's who we are. Ephesians chapter 2 explains it this way, verses 1 through 6. And it says, you hath he quickened. Quickened is the biblical, the Old Testament, or the, uh, the Old English word for bring to life. Okay? It's a spiritually, spiritual life, brought to life. And you hath he quickened, brought to life, who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead because of our sin. We're in time, it says, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world. This is who we were. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, what we see in the world around us, in the lost world, among whom? Also, we all had our conversation. This was our life in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, what a wonderful phrase in, in God's word. But God, who is rich in mercy, the word mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, even when we were wicked and, de and deceptive and destructive, hath quickened us, brought us together, brought us to life together with Christ. By grace, you're saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were resurrected spiritually and added to the family of God by way of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Romans 8.29 says this, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. And here's the phrase I want you to pay attention to, that he might be, Jesus Christ, might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's talking about his spiritual birth. That's talking about when he went from death to life out of that tomb. The Spirit of God that brings us to life spiritually is the very same one that brought him to life. He's the firstborn of many brethren. As we come to Christ, guess what? We're added to the family of God. Praise the Lord. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is because, listen, I want us to understand that, listen, as I'm going to try to make the case today that what we're seeing in this scripture, this integrating these Hivites into the people of God is, is a picture of Gentile salvation. It's a picture of our salvation from the lost world, from a Gentile world unto God, where the Hebrew God and the God who's the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, who came to reach the Jewish nation and used them to reach the world, made provision for those who were non-Jews. Keep in mind that I understand God's focus. When he came, man, it was all trained upon the children of Israel. It was a Jewish focus. When you read the Old Testament, guess what the focus is? The children of Israel. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, guess what the focus is? The Jewish people. It's all about the Jews. Throughout the Old Testament, it's always the case. And listen, listen to this, Matthew 10, verses 5 through 6. This is Jesus gathering his twelve. He says, that, he says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into the city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not. Here's your ministry, boys. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I am sending you to the Jewish people. That's your ministry. Jesus is telling the disciples that their ministry is to the Jews. 
See, God's desire is always to reach the world. That's always God's heart and his desire. But listen, his focus was to use the Jewish people to accomplish that. That's God's plan, to use his people to do so. And that's the focus all the way through. Until you get to Acts chapter number 7. And what happens at Acts 7? There's a guy named Stephen. And he goes to the Jewish leadership and he says, You know what? Let me tell you. Let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you who Jesus really was. And he lays out the case of who they are all the way from back to the Exodus. He walks them all the way to the present. Then he says, here's your chance. Don't you realize he wants to reach the world through us? And the Bible says that they gnashed their teeth. And they angrily took him out into the field and they murdered him. So they rejected their opportunity. And so what does God do? He makes a transition. And we see a shift after Acts 7 where you're going to now see there's a guy by the name of Paul. And Paul is different. Paul's called to do something a little differently. And when Paul is blind, he's on the road to Damascus, God knocks him off the horse, and for three days he's blind, and he's told to take him to a guy named, or God's supposed to take him to a guy named Ananias. Ananias knows who Paul is. Paul used to murder the Christians. Ananias is a Christian, and he's like, oh, snap, I'm supposed to take care of that guy? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. Because listen, and just happens to be three days that he's blind, no coincidence there. Acts 9, verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name. Where? Before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. There's a shift in time. God's going to use a new vehicle. A new vehicle to reach the world. He made provision for the non-Jew. And he shifted to the church. That's us. It's why we're here. We have a purpose, which is to reach the world. And I believe that what's showing us here is a story of a cursed people being accepted into God's family in spite of their sin, made a part of the number of God's people, and we are in fact, man, seeing a preview through them of us Amen. and how God brings us. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Now I'm going to do my best to prove it. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <clears throat> okay. Um, first thing we see is mercy displayed. Take note of the wording in verse number 21. It says, And the princess said unto them, Let them live. So what we hear through, these prince, through this prince's proposal is literally a people that are being offered life who were sentenced to death. Remember that the Hivites, they were slated to die. Everyone in Canaan was slated to die. Deuteronomy 20, verses 16 through 18 says this, But of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth, but thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God commanded thee. Why? That they teach you not to do after all their abominations, which they have done unto their gods. So ye, so should ye not. So should ye, should ye, so ye should sin against the Lord your God. Got it out. But, so we see all the Canaanites, everyone in that promised land was supposed to be wiped out. That includes every single Hivite person. They're all sentenced to death. And what we see is life is being offered to them. They're deserving of death, man. They stand against God. And it says, verse 21, And the princess said to them, Let them live. Mercy. Mercy. And to be merciful means to hold back punishment. That's deserved. When a mom or a dad has a child, you know, and they're just being disobedient, but let's say they got a fever, right? They're not feeling well that day, and they're just being awful. And they deserve punishment because, listen what, they're being disobedient. But let's guess what? The mom or dad goes, you know what? She's just not feeling good today. Let's just give her a break. You know what that is? Mercy. Mercy. Yep. Mercy. It's deserved, but it's held back because of, 
because of love. And we understand this, this, this is the aspect. When God came to this earth, He was offering mercy to this world, mercifully holding back the punishment that we deserve. As sinners, man, we have, we have earned ourselves death. And interestingly enough, the very first person in Jesus' ministry who asks for mercy happens to be a Canaanite. Check this out. Matthew 15, verses 22 through 28. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her, and he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost house of the sheep of Israel. My focus is on reaching and using the Jews to reach the world. Verse 25. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And I want you to pay attention to what happens next. He is going to test her faith. Listen to what he says to her. But he answered and said unto her, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Meat means appropriate. He's like, it's not appropriate for to take the, the meat. He says, listen, he's, what he's telling her, he says, you know what, I've got a ministry to the Jews. It's not for the Gentiles. I'm going to reach them. And you know what, listen to this. Listen to what she says. This is awesome. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. So isn't the bread actually for everybody? Isn't your ministry actually for the whole world? Isn't the byproduct they're trying to reach everybody? And he's like, this is awesome. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is thy faith. Yeah, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Man, for you see, God's heart is for the world. He extends mercy to anyone who will come humbly before him. Yes. Verse 25, she said, before he did anything or said anything, she said that it said this, then came she and worshiped him. When he was silent before, worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. She earnestly sought mercy from God. And guess what? She received it. Amen. Right? Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. And you realize when someone comes to Christ for salvation, we come to the Lord, we're not deserving, man. We're not deserving, yet God is He's merciful. He's merciful. We're all sentenced to death, every single one of us. Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Okay? We go back to Adam. Death was entered into the world because he chose to sin. Eve was beguiled. She was fooled. Adam knew what he was doing. He was the one that advised her, hey, listen, baby, don't eat the food, and let's not even touch it. That was not God's instruction. So we know Eve was added. The instructions were added to for Eve. So she had the information relayed not from God, but from Adam. And Adam knew. And she ate of the fruit and did give to her husband who was with her. So Adam sinned. Wherefore, as by one man sinned into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, because this world had no death in it prior to that. But after that sin, death was introduced to this planet. Yeah. Now we see, for all have sinned. For until the law was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But now, as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification, to sins of the world. Notice this. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, 
much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. The word justification means just as if I have never sinned. It's been wiped away. Verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abound, oh, here we go, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned upon death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's not only mercy, but it's grace. It allows salvation. The grace of God. And you know what the Bible says about John, in John 1 verse 14 about Jesus Christ? And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace. You know what grace is? Grace is extending something that's undeserved. Undeserved. That is the grace of God. To look at us in our sinful condition, but because of His grace, He offers us resolution, restoration, Grace means to give. It's not deserved. Thank you, Jesus. And if there's anything that's not deserved, it's salvation for humanity. Because right. we are a wicked bunch. Amen. Grace, yeah. man. Grace. So we see the second thing. Grace extended. Verse number 21 says this. And the princes said unto them, Let them live, but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation as the princes had promised them. So not only do we see mercy, but we see this grace being displayed. They're being offered a new identity. A role. Listen. In and amongst God's people. And what's cool about this is we also know the fact that this is not just about serving God's people. This is also about serving God. Notice what verses 23 and 27 said. And there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. Oh my, hey now. Verse 27. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, even unto this day in the place which he should choose. And so this people who were headed for death and deserving of it, listen, they've been given by mercy and by grace, mercifully saved from death, and by grace they're given a new identity, an opportunity to serve the one true God that they would have never, ever, ever had. When you and I get saved because of the mercy and grace of God being extended us, and He gives us a new identity, no longer are we pictured in these Canaanites and these Hivite kings. No longer are we pictured in the pagan God draws us out of who we used to be. Amen. Out of the world from which we come. And gives us an opportunity to serve Almighty God. Yeah. Praise the Lord, man. We do not deserve what we have been given. Amen. Amen. But the grace of God. For see, what our life of sin earned us is death. Yeah. Romans 6.23 says that for the wages of sin is death. What's a wage? A wage is what we earn. If you make $10 an hour and you work for 10 hours, you make 100 bucks. So what you earn because of sin, the life you've lived of rebellion, guess what we earn? We earn death. Right. Separation from God. But the next part says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes. So we're just like these Canaanites who need salvation. But God, remember? But God. Amen. Mercy and grace, He offers the free gift of salvation, not because we deserve it. Actually, in spite of our undeservedness. He offers it to us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so our opportunity to receive Christ as our Savior made it possible 
through the grace, made possible through the grace of God and his willingness to offer it to us. What does it do for us, man? It is picturing for us. Joshua 9.21, man, we see a picture of mercy and grace being extended to a godless people who devoid of God's interaction and intervention would be without hope. And you and I, if it were not for the grace of God, there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. There is no one. I don't care how religious you are, how self-righteous you are, how much scripture you may memorize. If it's not by way of Jesus Christ, you will bust hell wide open. Not because you're worse than anybody else, but because it's only by way of Christ. And then what happens is Joshua reminds these Hivites, he reminds them of their sin and also what will be required of them in verse, our third point. Accountability for sin is revealed. 22 says this, And Joshua called for them, and he spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have you beguiled us? Saying, We are very far from you when you dwell among us. So these deceivers are standing before, notice this, standing before Joshua, who just happens to be an Old Testament picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see deceivers, these men standing before God, and he's confronting them with their sin, revealing their sin to them. He's challenging them with their premeditated sinful choices. Because you understand, their deception will have consequences. It has consequences. And he's showing it to them right now. It says, now therefore ye are cursed, he says. Now therefore ye are cursed. There shall none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. Now John, or Joshua reveals this to them. He's pointing to their accountability to God. He's pointing to them and revealing to them their sin. And you know what? God does the very same thing for us. Yep. For us, we have the law. The law of God. And what does the law of God does? It shows us that we're sinners. How do I know that sin is wrong? Because the Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness, right? How do I know that I shouldn't steal? Thou shalt not steal. So it shows us our sin. Romans 3.20 explains this to us. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law reveals our sin. But after pointing out to them... What's going on here? What's interesting is he calls it and declares it, that he says that they're cursed. And what's interesting about this, and it made me really think about that, I'm like, well, the wording is unusual. Because remember what he did to the woman in Matthew 15. He kind of confronted her with something kind of difficult to see how she would respond. He gave her the harsh statement, it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. But because of her response, she received mercy, and he marveled at her faith, and he blessed her. So is it possible that Joshua is doing very similar, something very similar here? Because he gets, again, he uses the word cursed. But notice what the curse entails. They would get to serve God. Right? They're cursed already. Hello? They're on their way to destruction and death. They have no hope. So not only did they get a chance to serve God, but you know what we'll find when we get to Joshua chapter number 10? Is all those pagan kings that are out there that are not part of this group, they're all going to come to destroy them. And you know who's going to defend them? God. Amen. So here these men are given an opportunity to serve the living God, to be protected by the living God. And when you get to Nehemiah 7, they're named with the children of God. So we see this incredible change. But yet he uses the word, the word curse. And I believe that is the very thing he's testing them to see. Because remember, they came with this, we're servants, we're servants, we're servants. That's what they kept saying. Well, what a great way to test that servitude. Hey, you're getting ready to be cursed. You sure? You, you sure? You, you clear on what you were saying? You're gonna, are you going to stick with it? Are you going to hold on to what you said? And what understand, what's going to happen next is the fact that he's going to really test them. 
Because understand, they have to understand that they have made an offense, an offense unto God. That their sin was not just against the people, but it was also against Him. Notice the fact that He uses the word, the word us. You have sinned against us, including Himself in those that have been offended. In order to become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, once we've received mercy and grace from the Lord, we must recognize our sin against God for what it is, and it's exactly what the Hivites are going to do right now. Notice this. They're going to see it. We're going to see a contrite and humble response. Contrite means remorseful or repentant. Repentant means to turn away from. Verse 24. And they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told thy servant how that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore we were sore afraid of our lives because of you and have done this thing. Okay. Yeah, we lied. We cheated. We did whatever we did. We did it. We deceived you. And what we see is they're taking full responsibility for it. But what we find out is the fact that they didn't want to die. They were afraid. Their response, when we look into the heart of these enemies of God, was that they were fearful. This is what caused them to want to make peace with God. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. I know the night that I heard that I was a sinner, that I really understood what it meant, and I heard that hell was a reality, and I was like, well, that's not good. (laughs) Sounds kind of scary. I don't want to go there. I was filled with fear. And in response to that fear, God got me on course right? That I could receive Him. Now fear is not, it's not fear alone that saves us, but it does put us on a path, a willingness to hear. But it takes reverential faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, to receive eternal life. The path of redemption. What we see here is it begins with recognizing our sin and repenting of it before God. Because we see, right? The Lord, we see our sin the way the Lord does. He sees it as wickedness understanding, listen, that our sin is not just wrong, but our sin is actually an offense against God Himself. So we think, it's like, it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal. Remember, who you're sinning against. It's not against your wife or your husband or your kids or your brother or whoever else it is. You are sinning against God. He's the one that we're accountable to. He's the one we have to answer to. I don't have to answer to any of you guys, thank God. But listen, I got to answer to Him one day. And every idle word, the Bible says, every idle word. Psalm 51, 4 says this, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. And if we will understand that our sin, what it is, man, and we will fall humbly before God, begging for mercy, we will receive mercy. I want you to hear this as Jesus is sharing a parable in Matthew in Luke 18. And he shares this, and I want you to hear the wording of this parable as he talks about it. He says, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. He was so humbled by his experience and understanding who he was, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I know who I am. God, I'm begging you for mercy. And though that kind of heart, what does it do? The verse 14. And I, Jesus, then this is Jesus speaking of this parable. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, just as if he'd never sinned, rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humble himself shall be exalted. A humble heart. So salvation requires a humble and a contrite heart to come to the Lord. In the Old Testament, the prophet, the, the prophet Isaiah explains it this way Psalm, in Isaiah 57 15. For thus saith the high and the lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. 
I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So not only did it require making peace or a desire to make peace with God, but man, take ownership of our sin. Salvation requires a submitted heart, a humble heart, which just happens to be the very heart that we're going to hear from these Hivites. Listen to this, verse 25. And now behold, we are in thine hand, as it seemeth good and right unto thee to do unto us, do. In this response, what we hear is complete and total submission humility, surrender on a personal level. Man, they are trusting their eternity, their everything to Joshua, putting 100% of their faith in the character of this man that they have just met. And that's a good bet because Joshua has incredible character. He's a man of his word who just happens to be a picture of our Joshua, who is a man of his his word. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever... Believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God always keeps his word. And what's so beautiful, listen to this in Luke 24, verses 44 through 47. And he said unto them, speaking to his, to his disciples, These are the words which I spake unto you while I, was with, with, while I was yet with you. This is after he's been resurrected. That all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses. Notice this. He's saying, he's going to reference the Old Testament. He says, listen. All things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms, the Old Testament, concerning me. He's saying, you know what, that Old Testament that you guys have got, it is loaded with pictures and examples and types of me. And I'm getting ready to show you what it is. And listen to this. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. They'd had the Bible, that that Old Testament, for thousands of years. And finally, they go, what? That, that's, you, that's you there at exit. That's you. That's you with Abraham. That's you. That's you. That's you. That's you. That's, that's you. We read about Joshua. That's you. Christ, that was you. He said, yes. I put myself throughout the Bible to give you examples so you could follow and learn. If you don't put the Old Testament and New Testament together and you miss the pictures, man, you miss the whole thing. And there's so many preachers in this world, man, that are just preaching the same simple surface level, man. Teach you a little bit of history, teach you a little bit of application, but you miss the deep things of God. It's why we study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And what we see in these kings is true repentance and submission to the will of God. Now behold, we are in thine hand as it seemeth good and right unto thee to do unto us, do complete surrender. And listen, if you've been running from God, I'm begging you, just surrender. Because God's waiting to restore you. He's done all the work. And if you will... He'll do what Joshua's about to do for these guys, which is our last point. Enable them to become servants of the Lord. Verse 26 says, So did he unto them, and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, that they might, that they slew them not, save their lives. And Joshua made them that day, listen, 
that day of surrender, man, that day, hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the, listen to this, the altar of the Lord. The altar of the Lord. They get to serve the altar of the Lord even unto this day in the place which he should choose. So these pagan people from a cursed race, listen, here we go, who were the enemies of God and headed for certain death have been redeemed from their sins by Joshua, given a new identity as servants of God. You guys see what I'm seeing? A picture of Gentile salvation. God working through this story from thousands of years ago to show us ourselves. Where the God of Israel displayed mercy and grace to a sinful, cursed race, the human race, that came to Him in their sin, pictured in these deceivers who recognized their sin and the penalty attached to it. And what did they do? Man, they repented of it by faith. They trust their identity to Joshua, a picture of Jesus. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation for the altar of the Lord even unto this day in the place which he should choose and took the most unlikely and undeserving of people. And he changed their story. Amen. Their identity. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. And their purpose. Praise the Lord. And can I ask you, has he changed your story yes. from one of death mm. unto life? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If he has, then give him glory. Be thankful. When the world tells you not to be thankful for all that you've been given, and you look at your life and you go, but, but I got this going wrong and this going wrong and this going wrong. If you're a child of God, man, listen, you've been redeemed from death to life. Hallelujah. Eternity, guys. Woo. Eternity with the, with the Holy Father of God, man. It's like there's an opportunity for us to become something so much more. Yes. The world is going to try to destroy what God's trying to do in our lives. Why are we under attack? Because guess what? We're trying to set our hearts and minds upon those things which are above, not on the things on the earth. Amen. So what's he trying to do? Shift our attention back here. Right. So when we set our attention here. He's going, no, 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 no. Look here. Look all that's going on around you. Look at your life. Look at your situation. Look at your circumstance. Look at your health. Look at your finances. Look, 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 look. This is what's important. You've got to go, no. No. I set my affection on things above, not on the things yes. of the earth. Yes. Because this... Thing. This is an eternity game, man. We're working for the eternity of souls, of men, of women, and boys and girls. So if we are a child of God, man, let's set our hearts on doing what God sent us here to do. To let your life impact someone else's for the glory of God. And listen, if you're not saved, if he hasn't changed your story, oh my goodness. It's not because he's not willing. He's waiting. The question is, what are we waiting for? If you've got a friend that's lost and they need Christ, man, pray earnestly for them. Live an example before them. Display the gospel through the way you act, react, speak, pray, care for, reverence, and let your light shine in their life so that they can see the difference. Because if they're going to hear, you know what? God's intention, what was the vehicle he created to reach the world? the church. You're a part of this church. That's what God expects of us. We better get to it. Let's pray. 
thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for what you've shown us in the Old Testament, God. Incredible pictures that you display to us. Things that we can directly apply into our own lives. Thank you for the insight we get into seeing through the eyes of these Hivites, through these men, Lord, that uh, came in fear to God. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be mindful of those that are around, those that are around us. Lord, those deceivers, those that are broken, those that are lost, and the deep need they have for you and your willingness to give mercy to anyone who will come humbly before you. So I pray that, God, you'd help our lives to make a difference. I pray that, God, you'd use us as a witness. Lord, help us to be active in giving out tracts and living a testimony that glorifies your name. And, God, I pray, uh, Lord, that you'd help us uh, to be mindful, uh, Lord, to be uh, an example to those that are young in the faith, Lord, that are looking to us. Whether we realize it or not, we are all leading someone. Help us lead them to you. With their heads bowed or their eyes closed. Look, if you're here today and you say, look, I don't know where I stand with God. There are plenty of people that are religious. There are plenty of people that know about God. There are plenty of people that fear God. But I can promise you this. It takes a humble, submissive heart and a repentant heart to receive the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And if there's not been a time in your life where you can specifically look back and say, I know that I made a choice on this day to understand that I was a sinner, to realize the fact that there's a penalty for my sin, understanding that Jesus Christ had died on that cross because he loved me in spite of myself. And I willingly call and fall down before him in humility and give him 100% of me. If there's been a day like that, if you praise the Lord, but if there's not been, you need one. Desperately. Because we're not promised tomorrow. You're watching this recorded. You're watching this online. This, this is for all of us. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, there is no ceremony. There is no magic prayer. It is nothing more than a broken heart calling out to God. And if your heart feels that draw, all you have to do is respond. That's what I'm going to help you to do today. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to pray. There's no magic in the prayer. It's your heart God's listening to. And if you call out with your heart, I promise you, he will save you right where you are. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Repeat after me if you want to receive Christ as your Savior. Repeat in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for my sin. God, I believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried in a borrowed tomb. On the third day, you were resurrected by the mighty power of God. I'm asking you right now, God, to come into my life. God, to forgive me of my sins, to pay the price that I cannot pay. Lord, save my soul, I beg you. And God, thank you for being here for me, for hearing me, and for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.